give the Lord a hand clap of praise. The Lord, you're in the house this morning. Death has to flee. Light and darkness cannot coexist together. Because darkness is the absence of light. But when light comes in, the darkness has to go. The doubt has to go. All of those things. So if you can stand here this morning and say, God, you're in this house. You're in this heart. Then there's no reason for you not to receive whatever you have need of this morning. Amen. So good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. So appreciate that song. It's been a blessing to my heart for quite some time now. Thank you, Brother Ray. Amen. God is so good to us, isn't he? Amen. Amen. I just, that's all the singing we'll do. I, I know it's kind of abrupt, but if you'd seen the list of scriptures I gave to them this morning, you'd understand. Amen. I want to welcome each one of you to the house of the Lord. It's so good to see you. It's good to be back home again, and it's, it's kind of strange to say that sometimes you go... I go to Grand Prairie, I feel at home there, and I come here, and I feel at home here, so I just got a bigger home, you know. <laughs> it's good, and uh, really what it is, is wherever the saints of God are, you feel at home there. Amen. And I, uh, it's good to see you again, Brother Harold. God bless you. Amen. And I'd like to wish everyone, every father, a happy Father's Day. Amen. See Brother Ernie way up in the back. God bless you. Sister Josephina. Amen. Each one. And God bless you, not just to our, our natural fathers, but the spiritual fathers we have in the Lord. And, you know, I, I singled out Brother Harold already, and I'll single him out again as a spiritual father to many, many of us who we look to you and say, God bless you. Amen. And I. I just want to make notice before we go to the, to the word that uh, let's just be diligent as we can, uh, just as a reminder to adhere to the government standards and what we need to do for social distancing and, and not congregating in the foyer or in the parking lot. And um, We're here to hear the word. This is the main point of being here. You know, I know it's hard. On, I, I'm working on it myself, too. I get on the parking lot, and you... You want to fellowship and talk because that's your brother and sister in Christ. But let's just do our best and be diligent, you know. And uh, we appreciate the, the liberty we've been given by the government to do what we can. As Brother Ray said, we're getting tired of the plexiglass. I was in the back office. I said, amen. <laughs> I'm getting tired of some of these rules, you know. But we got to do what we got to do. And in the end, you know, render under Caesars that which is Caesars. But render unto God that which is God's. So don't let it hinder our worship. Don't let it hinder that you're here to receive from the Lord. But still give diligence to do what we can. Amen. Amen. Let's take our Bibles and turn with us to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11. Amen. Got. All right. I got one up here. Amen corner. Sitting in the corner. <laughs> Amen. I, <laughs> Amen. Hebrews chapter 11. My father was here last weekend and I, I heard it was a blessing. I was on the way home 
from Grand Prairie on Sunday night. Whoever preached Sunday morning there preached so long I couldn't make it back in time for the service here. But, uh, you know, I, we were able to stream and while well, one of us drove, the other one held the phone and streamed and we got the benefit and the blessing. And I heard some of the comments he made and it's, uh, it's, it's a blessing to be to have a father in the natural like that as well. And, and uh, I certainly appreciate him. He's been a mentor to me for many years. You know, I, I look back at my own ministry. Forgive me for talking while you're standing for a moment, but, you know, I, 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 young ministers coming up that are younger than myself, they don't have the same opportunity that I had And my father being the pastor of a small church. and He just gave me the, the, the grace, I'll call it the grace, to just say, you know, just go up, and if you've got a gift in your life, just go up and preach and minister, and you know, that's, that takes a lot of grace, you know, to allow a young man to do that, and the first service I ever took, he'll tell the story, was about an hour and a half long before I realized how long it was, and I said, I, I just felt sorry for the poor people that had to sit through that, but uh, it's been a long time now, 10 or, 10 or almost 11 years now, but we thank the Lord for what he's done in our lives. Amen. Hebrews chapter 11. This is uh, a service that uh, has been a while coming, I'll say it that way. And, uh, you know, as I was studying it last night, I was almost ready to give up and say, Lord, I don't know if I can preach this. And, and then he just started to drop revelation in. So we're just going to thank the Lord. And why don't we turn and why don't we approach the author first and if you just want to slip up your hand this morning and say, Lord, remember me. Amen. Heavenly Father, Lord, raising my own hand this morning, remember me, Lord. Think of the thief that was dying beside you that day on the cross. Lord, he just turned to you and said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Father, we're here, Lord. We've come into your presence and sang songs of worship. Lord, it's not just that we are here, but Lord, we know that you are here. Wherever two or three are gathered in your name, you be there in the midst of them. So, Father, we say in your presence again this morning, remember me. Lord, let the blood of Jesus speak for me, Lord. Don't let me have my own voice, but Lord, may you come and speak the words of life to your people that have gathered here present and those that have gathered in the streaming, Lord, are unable to come due to restrictions. But, Father, we thank you, Lord, that we have the technology to stream in to hear the word. Lord, may you remember each one wherever we are at. Lord Jesus, may you come and meet us in our hour of need this morning. Lord, that we've looked to you, Lord. We've sang the songs. We know we don't just sing it. Say, you're in this house, but Lord, you're in our hearts, Lord Jesus. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. Lord, when we come into your presence, we don't just want to feel it on an outside, on a sensational realm, but Lord, we want to welcome you into the secret regions of our heart, Lord. Say, come and make known, Lord, all that you have desired before the foundation of the world to express yourself in me. Lord, come and make me an expression of you. 
Lord, we love you this morning. We love your word. We love your appearing. We love it when you come and impart revelation. Lord, how happy I was last night when you came and spoke to my heart. Lord, may it be real today as it was yesterday, Lord. Father, you would come and make it real to your children that we wouldn't go from here just saying that was nice. But Lord, it would be a burning in our heart that Jesus spoke to us once again. Father, we commit ourselves to you. Be with the fathers today. Lord, each one who's raising and has raised children, Lord, you know the responsibility. Father, as you are our heavenly Father, and you are raising us, Lord, up as a bride, as sons and daughters, Lord. Father, help us to look at your example. Each father that sits here under the sound of my voice, may we look to you and recognize, Lord, we're just a reflection of what you are. Father, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hebrews chapter 11. We'll start the reading at verse 32. It says, And what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah, of David and Samuel and of the prophets. You know, I'm so appreciative of that scripture. As a minister of the gospel, I already spoke about long-windedness. But here Paul, writing a letter, says, time has failed me. So even Paul, all the way back to the first church age, says there just ain't enough time. Amen. But I thank the Lord we're not creatures of time. In the flesh we are. But in the spirit, in the soul realm, we're creatures of eternity. Oh, if we could just step into that. Amen. But it says that who through faith subdued kingdoms, they wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, whilst valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. And women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured and accept, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonments. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted. They were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world is not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth. And these all having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. God having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. Let's just carry on in chapter 12 for two verses. He says, Wherefore, seeing we also are combassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Amen. May the Lord have his blessing to his word. You may have your seats. If you want to hold your Bible there, let's turn back over to 
the book of Judges, Judges chapter 11. I, I mentioned a while ago in the service that I would take a full service on Jephthah, so here we are. But uh, some young brothers, namely one in the corner and one that I don't think is here, Brother John Perizok, but they would bug me all the time. When are you going to preach on Jephthah? When are you going to preach on Jephthah? And I said, I don't know, I don't know. Till finally last night, as I said, the Lord just started dropping things in. and I said, okay, now we can go. But that's what it took. Judges chapter 11, forgive me, we'll read quite a bit of it, but just so you can get the story, it's not a commonly read scripture. But it says, now Jephthah the, the, the Gileadite was a mighty man of valor, and he was the son of an harlot, and Gilead begat Jephthah. My, what a start of a life. It wasn't that he was the son of some great man, he was the son of a harlot. If you read the very next verse, it says, And Gilead's wife bare him sons, and his, his wife's sons grew up, and they thrust out Jephthah, and said unto him, Thou shalt not inherit in our father's house, for thou art the son of a strange woman. Man. Cast out of his own house. What a man. That he was the son of a harlot, his father's illicit relationship, and now in all of these things he'd finally come to this point where his, his half-brothers had grown up and they'd cast him out and said, we won't want you to be a part of this. We don't want you to have any part of inheritance. We don't want you to have any of this. We're going to kick you out of your own, amongst your own brethren. But in Jephthah fled from his brethren and dwelt in the land of, of Tob. And there were gathered vain men to Jephthah and went out with him. And it came to pass in, in process of time that the children of Ammon were war, made war against Israel. Now I want you to notice verse 3. It says that there was gathered vain men to Jephthah. It wasn't that there was gathered renowned men. What gathered to him were the common men. The men that basically people looked at and they, they, they didn't want much to do with them. They weren't very well thought of. They weren't very well mannered. They weren't very well. They were just vain men. They were men that just kind of were about their own way. Commoners and, and, and different things like that that nobody really wanted. But they found a leader. They found someone to gather around and that was Jephthah. And in this time, it says that now in verse 4, and it came to pass in the process of time, that the children of Ammon made war against Israel. And it was so that when the children of Ammon made war against Israel, the elders of Gilead went to fetch Jephthah out of the land of Tob. Now, I'll just back up for a moment once again. Forgive me for this, but you're already seated, so it's okay. But now we got, here's a man, he's kicked out from among his own brethren. I want you to understand, I'll just say it right out, that Jephthah and his daughter is a type of Christ and the bride. Now here Jephthah, he begins to, the very first in his life, he's looked upon as his, by his brethren and says, you're an illegitimate son. And that's exactly the way they looked at Christ. And they looked at Christ and said, you're an illegitimate son, not understanding that there was a purpose for his birth to be born in this way. There was a reason why God allowed these things to come to pass. The same as it was with Christ. They looked at him as a bastard-born son, when in reality, he was the virgin-born son of God. Amen. But now as he comes down in all of that, his brethren rejected him. 
Amen. That's exactly the way it was with Christ, that no matter how good he was and what he came to do for them, they rejected him, saying, you're not like us. You're not the one you say you are. You didn't come the way we wanted you to come. You're not the leader we want. We rejected you. And he took upon himself 12 disciples, common men. Men that couldn't even sign their own name, some of them, uneducated. No one wanted these men around them, but Jesus said, I'll take those men. Praise be to God. But now in all of this, it comes down, or now he's gone away from his brethren. And they find that there's war with the children of Ammon. Uh, and where we're at, verse 5, and it says, And it was so that when the children of Ammon made war against Israel, the elders of Gilead uh, went to fetch Jephthah out of the land of Tob. And they said unto Jephthah, Come and be our captain, that we may fight with the children of Ammon. And Jephthah said unto the elders of Gilead, Did, you, did not you hate me? And expel me out of my father's house. And why are you come unto me now when we are in distress? Oh my. And the elders of of Gilead said unto Jephthah, Wherefore we turn again to thee now that thou mayest go with us and fight against the children of Ammon and and be our head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. And Jephthah said unto the elders of Gilead, If ye bring me home again to fight against the children of Ammon, then the Lord deliver them before me, shall I be your head. And the elders of Gilead said unto Jephthah, The Lord be witness between us. If we do not so according to thy words, that Jephthah went with the elders of of Gilead, and the people made him head and captain over them. And Jephthah uttered all the words before the Lord in Mizpah. Now forgive me, I'm going to read this next portion. It's a long portion, but bear with me. Where it says, And Jephthah sent messengers unto the king of the children of Ammon, saying unto them, What hast thou to do with me? That thou art come against me to fight in the land, and the children of and, and the king of the children of Ammon answered the messengers of, of, of Jephthah, because Israel took away my land. And they came out out of, out of Egypt from Arnon, even unto Jabbok and unto Jordan now. Therefore, restore those lands again peaceably. Now, I want you to catch what the argument is about. It's about a possession. It's about some land that here the children of Ammon are saying, it belongs to me. And you took it from me. And I've got a right over this land. My but now, they're, they're, this is what, it, what it's all about. This is why they've come up. And Jephthah sent messengers again in verse 14 unto the king of Ammon and, 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 and said unto them, Thus saith Jephthah, Israel took not away the land of Moab, nor the land of the children of Ammon. When Israel came up from Egypt and walked through the wilderness unto the Red Sea and came to Kadesh, the, and then Israel sent messengers. And he goes on to describe how he sent messengers, saying, Can we pass through? We can't. Can we pass through this? No, you can't. And he had, they had to skirt around everybody to get around. And then finally, uh, they came through. Uh, Moab and came through Sihon, king of the Amorites, and then Sihon said no, but Sihon didn't just allow them to pass around. Sihon gathered himself to fight against Israel, and God delivered Sihon and, and his people into their hand. And God, God smote them, and Israel possessed all of their land of the Amorites, and, and the inhabitants of the country jumped down to verse 22. It says, and they possessed all of the coasts of the Amorites from 
from Arnon even unto Jabbok and from the wilderness unto the Jordan. And now the Lord God of Israel hath disposed the Amorites, dispossessed the Amorites from before this people Israel. And shouldest thou possess it? Wilt not that... Wilt not thou possess that which Chemosh, thy God, giveth thee to possess? So whatsoever the Lord our God shall drive out from before us, them will we possess. And now art thou better than Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab? Did he, not, did he ever strive against Israel, or did he ever fight against them? When Israel dwelt in Heshbon and her towns and Aaron... And he just keeps on describing these things and he goes to the last part of that verse. says, why therefore did you not recover them within that time? So in other words, he's saying, why now? Why is this a problem now? Why not before when, when we were going in and conquering the land? Why didn't you fight against us then? Because God delivered it to us and you were scared. But all of a sudden now, you feel like you got some kind of right. And in verse 27, and he says, Wherefore, I have not sinned against thee, but thou doest me wrong to war against me. The Lord, the judge, be judged this day between the children of Israel and the children of Ammon. Howbeit the king of the children of Ammon hearken not unto the words of Jephthah which he sent him. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah. I want you to catch that statement that is incredibly important in the Scripture. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah. So if thou shalt ever, and he, oh boy, and he said, uh, and he passed over Gilead and Manasseh and over Mizpah of Gilead, and, and, and from Mizpah of Gilead he passed over to the children of Ammon, and Jephthah vowed a vow unto the Lord. And he said, if thou shalt deliver, if thou shalt without fail deliver the children of Ammon into mine hands, then it shall be that whatsoever cometh forth of the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the children of Ammon, then, then shall, surely, shall surely be the Lord's, and I will offer it up for a burnt offering. Now I want you to understand what he's saying here. He's saying, whatever meets me at my door first, when I return in peace, Lord, if you allow me to return in peace, I'll offer it to you for a burnt offering. I'll give it to you, Lord. But I need you to go back a verse first and realize the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. This was not Jephthah speaking as Jephthah. This was God beginning to speak through Jephthah under the anointing of the Holy Ghost on Jephthah saying, make this vow. So now it goes down into verse 32, and it says, So Jephthah passed over the children of Ammon to fight against them, and the Lord delivered them into his hand, and he smote them over Aror, even until the Manath, even 20 cities. My. And unto the plain of the vineyards with a great, very great slaughter. Thus the children of Ammon were subdued before the children of Israel. And Jephthah came to Mizpah unto his house, and behold, his daughter came out to meet him with timbrels and with dances, and she was his only child. Besides her, he had neither son nor daughter. And it came to pass when he saw her that he rent his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter remembered the vow he'd made. And now he's come back after the anointing now is gone. He's come out from under the anointing, and now he recognizes, uh-oh, 
My only child is the first thing that meets me. And I vowed under the Spirit of God to perform a vow that I would sacrifice or I would sacrifice to God whatever comes out of the house to meet me. And here comes his daughter. My. So he just begins to rent his clothes. And he's sorrowful. Alas, my daughter, thou hast brought me very low. Imagine the confusion of a young child. She's coming out with singing and timbrels and dancing. Daddy's come home and he's won the battle. Everything is wonderful and daddy just rents his clothes. You've brought me so low. And she's going, what? What did I do? What are you talking about? But then he begins to understand, begins to enlighten her and says, Thou art one of them that trouble me, for I have opened my mouth unto the Lord, and I cannot go back. But think of this wisdom. And she said unto him, My father, if thou hast opened thy mouth unto the Lord, do to me according to that which hath proceeded out of thy mouth. For as much as the Lord hath taken vengeance for thee and thine, of, of thine enemies, even of the children of Ammon. And she said unto her father, let this thing be done for me. Let, them let me alone two months that I may go up, up and down upon the mountains and bewail my virginity, I and my fellows. And he said, Go. And he sent her away for two months, and she went with her companions and bewailed her virginity upon the mountains. And it came to pass at the end of the two months that she returned unto her father, who did with her according to his vow, which she had vowed, and she knew no man. And it was a custom in Israel that the daughters of Israel went yearly to lament the daughter of Jephthah the Gileadite four days in a year. Now, it would appear in that scripture when you read it, just to read it, he went and sacrificed his daughter. It more than definitely looks that way. And that's why I couldn't preach on it right away because I said, Lord, that doesn't run from Genesis to Revelation. If he went and killed his daughter and God allowed a man to judge Israel seven years that had committed human sacrifice, it doesn't run. It doesn't work with the rest of the scripture. So I begin to seek the Lord. And yesterday, God just began to open it up. And if you look, there's a lot of scriptures. I won't go into all of them, but you can turn with me to Leviticus chapter 18. You could also go to Leviticus 20, Deuteronomy 12, Deuteronomy 18, where God makes laws and commandments against such things as human sacrifice. But if you go in Deuteronomy chapter 18 and in verse 21... He says, thou shalt not let any of thy seed pass through the fire of Malesh. Neither shalt thou profane the name of thy God. I am the Lord. Now catch for a moment what's happening here that God is making a commandment to the children of Israel. said, don't let your children, your seed, pass through the fire of Malesh. Now you have to understand what Malesh is. Malesh is actually the God of the Ammonites. And many other ones, he was one of the gods. He goes back to being, they called him the king, the king of the gods or the king god. Or he was one of the more elder gods. And in the, 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 the worship of this god, Malesh, the way they worshipped him was to take their children and throw them in the fire before his altar. It was child sacrifice that they would do. And now this is the god, catch, this is the god of the Amorites. Ammonites, sorry. This is the ones that, that Jephthah is going out to meet in battle. What they do in worship is child sacrifice. And here he makes a vow to God, basically saying, I will do exactly what I'm fighting against. 
if you deliver that to me. If you look at it from a carnal standpoint. But here, is a, as God begins to speak against, he said, don't do that. He says, thou shalt, and then, and then if you jump down to verse 25, it says, and the land would be defiled. It says, I should go to verse 24. It says, defile not yourselves. This is Leviticus 18, 24, Brother Mark. It says, defile not ye yourselves in any of these things. For in all these, uh, for in all these the nations are defiled, which I cast out before you. So saying in all these things that they do, the, 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 all of the, the sin and all of these things, you could read Leviticus 18 if you want to when you go and there's a lot of things that God talks about and there's a don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. A lot of absolutely horrible abominations before God. But in this one he gets down to now not to, not to sacrifice your children before idols or at all. And then he says if you do these things, this is the reason that these, these nations were defiled because they did these things. And in verse 25 and he says, and the land is defiled, therefore I do visit the iniquity therefore upon it. And the land itself vomiteth out her inhabitants. There's a vomiting out because of the abominations that had been performed in the land that God said the, the cup of the iniquity of the Amorites is now full. It's time to go in and possess the land. It's time to go in and take them because they've come to a place where they've done so much abominations in my sight. I can't take it anymore. They have to be cast out. But now he says, don't do these things because the same thing will happen to you if you go and do these things. Now forgive me, if you want to write down the scriptures, Leviticus 21 to 6, Deuteronomy 12, Deuteronomy 18, there's a lot in there that explains all of that. But also if you want examples, you go over to 2 Kings chapter 16 and verse 3, the king Ahaz, when he went and he actually sacrificed his children to this god Melesh. And it says in the scripture writes that the wrath of God was kindled in it. The Lord, whom the Lord cast out from before them, he went and did these abominations, and God was angry with him. And in, in, in 2 Kings 17, 17, I believe it's King Hosea that sacrificed his seed to them. And the kingdom of God is, uh, the wrath of God is kindled against them, and God raises up the Assyrians for the purpose so that the land could vomit out the inhabitants. This is the reason God allowed them to be taken into captivity because they did these abominations that God said, don't do this. Yeah. I know it seems a lot like history, but we're, we're, we're building up to a lot of things here. It's not just preaching on Jephthah because it applies today very, very well. But then in 2 Chronicles chapter 13, also King Manasseh does this, goes and does it all over again. Jeremiah talks about it in Jeremiah chapter 7. Jeremiah chapter 19, Jeremiah chapter 32, where he talks about how the children of Israel have built up the high places of, of Baal, and they built up the valley, which, which are in the valley of the son of Hinnom, and then caused their sons and their daughters to pass through the, pass through the fire of Melesh. He says, you've gone and done these things, and because you've done these things, he said, I commanded, which I commanded them not, neither came it into my mind that they should do this abomination to cause Judah to sin. God is very wroth with them because of these things that they had done. So you would watch and you would look at it and say, then if God judged Israel for sacrificing their children unto idols and sacrificing their children, period, why would God not judge Jephthah for sacrificing his daughter? So you have to ask yourself the question, did he sacrifice his daughter? 
Remember, as I mentioned, that Jephthah was challenged by the Ammonites. And the Ammonites were ones that, that, that sacrificed their children and they worshipped this god of Malesh. I know this seems a little bit dark to start out with, but bear with me. And this, these are the ones that did this and they're the ones that did this. And now Jephthah comes and he makes his vow. And when he comes back, he realizes it's his daughter. And now he's stuck between a rock and a hard place where he's reeling, realizing, what do I do? And his daughter, for some reason, cries out, do it unto me, but rather let me go for two months. Let me bewail my virginity, and I'll ask you a question. What does that have to do with anything? Who cares if she dies a virgin or not? If she's just going to die. But she goes because it was significant. Because it wasn't that he was going to sacrifice her. Now we're going to get to this. But let me just, let me just bear, dwell on this just a little bit longer here. Because here's the Ammonites that begin, as I said, this is a type of Christ. And here Christ is cast out from among his brethren. And then there's ones that come to him, especially the Gileadites. But here even today, there's ones that come back to Christ and come to God in their hour of despair. Now listen, the, the Ammonites are a type of the devil. Because here the Ammonites are trying to say, this is my inheritance. I own these people. I own this guy. I own this land. Just the same way the devil today is trying to tell God, no, no, this is my person. They were born in sin. They were shaped in iniquity. They came into the world speaking lies. I own them. They're my land. Get off my land. Stop disturbing my people. But God could look right back in the eyes of the devil and say, listen, if they were really yours, why didn't you take their life when they were just an infant? But you couldn't because I had my hand upon them because I put a seed in them that they would possess the land. Because they're not your inheritance, devil, they belong to me. Because I shed my blood upon the, the, upon the cross so that they could be saved. See, what's happening here, the bulk of the scripture in Judges chapter 11 is actually what happens to a predestinated seed of God when they begin to feel the wooing of God in their lives. When God begins to call to them and God begins to woo you out of the sin and out of the world, what's happening, Satan is crying out saying, you can't have them, but God's saying, it's mine. Oh, praise be to God. He might have been rejected from among his brethren. He was the chief and cornerstone, but he was rejected. But to you, he became a living stone. Amen. Hallelujah. Because it's the blood of Jesus that stands in the gap for those that are predestinated. Oh, my. That's why I chose the title, Let the Blood Speak for Me. Don't let me try to speak for myself and say, but I've lived here so long, but this is something. Let God speak for me and say, but this is my seed. This is the one that I claim. This is my inheritance. Devil, you can fight it. He still tries today saying, oh, but you know what you did. Oh, but you know the sin that you committed. Oh, but you know that what you did before you became a Christian. You know what you did before you inherited some of the land. You know all these things that I reign supreme in your heart. Oh, but you could stand there and say, but the blood of Jesus speaks for me. That I don't have to take the, the abominations of the devil anymore, but he is defeated. Yeah. Hallelujah. 
But now in Judges chapter 11, as I said, you have to realize that you have to recognize that this, he made this vow when the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah. That is when he made this vow. Brother Bradham would talk about it in, 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 in Jesus Christ the same yesterday and forever. He says this, but when the Spirit of the Lord comes upon an individual, he says, now it seems to be if the Spirit of the Lord comes amongst us, which I know it is, and he will use me as his instrument. He says, just like this microphone, this is a desk. The microphone doesn't hold the Bible. That's not its place, but this desk does. Everything has its place. It's used as an instrument, this finger, this mouth, this ear, this eye. We're all parts of the body. Now if God comes with us tonight and will use his divine gift, his prophetic gift, that's been sovereignly given to your humble brother and servant of the Lord, then will you accept him as Jesus Christ as a believer? And he said, what does he say? He said, but if the Spirit of the Lord, if it's just me speaking, that's one thing. But if the Spirit of the Lord comes upon me, then I'm just his instrument. He says in another place in the principles of divine healing, he says, before I could say anything, the Spirit of the Lord came and told her that she'd be well. So whose mouth did it use? Brother Branham's. But he says, it wasn't me. Before I could say anything, the Spirit of the Lord came and spoke through me. And he, in, the, in Hebrews chapter 2, number 3, Brother Branham says, in the next morning, a little after sunup, talking of the story of the little fishy. Little fishy, I give you back your life. You know the story. He says, we saw that little fishy not long ago. He said, but when the Spirit of the Lord come down and said, little fish, Jesus Christ makes you whole. Amen. Who said it? Brother Branham didn't say it. The Spirit of the Lord used the lips of Brother Branham to say, little fishy, I give you back your life. See, it wasn't that it was Brother Branham, but it was rather when the Spirit of the Lord came down. So here's Jephthah caught in a place where the Spirit of the Lord comes down and begins to move on his heart. He begins to speak and say, I make this vow. Man, remember Samson. Just to hammer it down a little more biblically. Remember Samson. When the Spirit of the Lord would move upon him, he'd rip a lion in pieces. Brother Branham says he was just a scrawny little fellow. He was just a skinny, ruddy fellow. He wasn't much to look at. Everyone look at him and say, I don't think he'd be able to do that. But when the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, he picked up a dull, dry jawbone and slew a thousand. He snapped new bowstrings. He snapped chains. He'd done all these things. When the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, then it wasn't him. So here Jephthah, under the Spirit of the Lord, makes a vow to God, and God has such a design that the very people he was defeating were the ones performing regular child sacrifices, and now God has his daughter come out to meet him. Don't think for a moment anything happens by chance. But God has this recorded for a reason, because this is the design of God, that God inspires his daughter to come out and singing and with timbrels ready to receive it, knowing that he made Jephthah make a vow. So you see, in all of it is the design of God. So if he sacrificed his daughter, now I'm going to put God in a hard place. If he really sacrificed his daughter and killed her, then God is an accomplice to child sacrifice. See what I had to say? I couldn't preach on this till the Lord showed it to me. So now he comes out in verse 34 and 35. He comes out and he begins just to rent his clothes. 
And he's, he's, he's horribly mortified, really. And in his own mind, he's saying, oh, this is it. But in reality, what he has to do is he recognizes he'll never have an offspring. He'll never have a seed take his name on. There'll never be a lineage come from Jephthah. Because I'll ask you again, why does she bewail her virginity? To bewail is to express deep sorrow for something. She went out to express this sorrow over her virginity for two months, and on the third month, she was no more. She was to be no more. So she went out for two months in the mountains. Why did she go to the mountains? David would write on inspiration, said, I will look unto the hills from whence cometh my help. She went out into the mountains. She went out somewhere to say, oh, God, how is this all going to happen? I'm a virgin. I've got nothing. My father has nothing. I've got no husband. I've got nothing to take anything on. My family is coming to an end. And she goes out to bewail it, but to bewail, really, when you look at it in the Old Testament, it's bewail. In the New Testament, it's repent. Because to bewail something is to have deep, express deep sorrow for something when to true repentance is godly sorrow for sin and turn away from it. It's a deep expression of sorrow for the sin that you've had. Why did she go for two months? Because it's a representation of justification and of sanctification. Two months. Those are two things that happen in a believer's life that happen via Repentance. They don't happen just by coming and, oh, everything's wonderful. We just gloss over it all. But when you come to a place and you repent of that sin and you accept the sacrifice that Jesus died for your sins, then there's justification in there because there was godly sorrow for that sin. And then it comes into sanctification another month, which it isn't in today. It could happen like that. It could happen months. It could happen years. That's not, the timing's not all that important, but in the type, it's a, it's a representation of something. Where now it comes to the second month of sanctification, it's still something that you come and say, oh God, take these desires away from me. Take this, my life, change me, oh God. Give me a new spirit. Make me more like you. What is it? It's a sorrow for who you have been and who you were. It's a sorrow for when you were under the rulership of, of the devil. Oh my, that, that's the reason that God had to cast them out of the land. That he said the cup of the Amorites is full. Remember he said they couldn't go in yet because the cup of the, Amorites, cup of the sin of the Amorites was not yet full. But then when he brought them in, it was because he said that we had to spew them out because they were doing these abominations. Their, their, their sins were full, all of these things that they had done. It was time to cast them out. <laughs> Think about it as a believer, Brother Max. When all of that the devil has done, it seems like you've come to the end and you've gone and he's taken you right to the nth degree where you can't go any lower. Then God comes in. He says, you've done enough to my land. Get out. How is he cast out? Because the land itself vomits it out. Because the believer itself begins to cry out to God in godly sorrow for that sin. Hallelujah. The Bible says a believer, you must seek out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's not with rejoicing and jumping up and down. It's fear and trembling. God, I need to be saved. I really need this. Whatever is against it, take it away. Let it just be the word. To come to that place. Now his daughter asked for this. 
to be done before he performs his vow to God. But this is not a vow that Jephthah made on his own. This is made under the Spirit of God. If you pull up Genesis chapter 22 and verse 8, we won't turn to it for the sake of time. But Genesis chapter 22 and verse 8 is where uh, Abraham is told of the Lord to go up and sacrifice Isaac. Now here's another example. God says, go perform child sacrifice. That puts God in a really hard spot. But Abraham caught a revelation. And in verse 8, what does he say in verse 8? If you put that up there, Brother Mark. He says, and Abraham said, my son, God will provide himself a lamb. Hold on a second here. God said, go sacrifice Isaac. And Abraham catches it and said, God will provide himself a lamb. We're not going to sacrifice you, Isaac. We're going to go sacrifice a lamb. And I got no idea how it's going to happen, but God will provide for himself a lamb. So they went, both of them, together. Hallelujah. They went up to the mount. We know the story. It's a very, very familiar scripture to us where he went up there. Oh, God let him go right to the nth degree, binding his son, laying out the wood, laying him on the altar. And Isaac is a type of Christ, willingly lays down his life. He raises that knife up and he says, Abraham, stay your hand. And he looks over and something that was not there. The ram caught in the thicket. Jehovah Jireh provided for himself. The Almighty God created a substitution for the life of Isaac. Praise be to God because he recognized there could be a substitute. Just the same way it was in, 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 in the Garden of Eden when Eve and Adam, they sinned. They ought to have died. God ought to have slain them, but instead he accepted a sacrifice. A substitute for their sin was a lamb. So Abraham recognized that and said, God's going to provide himself because if God couldn't kill Adam, he ain't going to kill you, Isaac. Hallelujah. Jephthah could look at that and said, if he couldn't kill Isaac, he ain't going to kill my daughter. God's going to have to provide himself a lamb. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If you go to Leviticus chapter 27. Actually, turn with me to Exodus chapter 29. Brother, you just keep Leviticus chapter 27 up there, and I'll have the people turn to Exodus chapter 29. But Leviticus chapter 27, it begins to talk about vows. And in a a vow, it begins to talk about how this vow, that if a man made a singular vow, and the the persons shall be for the Lord by, by by the estimation, and the estimation shall be, of the male, some 20 years old, and even unto 60 years old, and different things. And they begin to talk about vows and paying and things and money. And really what they're talking about is, is, is they're talking about if a person has made a vow to God. If an individual on their own has made a vow to God, there's a way to pay that vow. You understand? But Jephthah himself did not make a vow to God. It was under the Spirit of the Lord that he spoke these words. That I will sacrifice. Jump over for a moment. Amen. Now, Exodus chapter 29. So why would you bring that in there? Because I want you to understand, because some of us know the Bible really well. I hope you all do. But in in Leviticus, he's talking about this is a vow that you made. If you made a vow on your own, when you just on your own say, Lord, if you help me, I'll just make a vow. I'll give you so much. I'll do this for you. He said, there's a way to pay that in the law. 
But now if you go over to Exodus chapter 29, because this vow that Jephthah made, it wasn't just Jephthah saying of himself, well, God, if you help me, I'll do this. But rather, it was the spirit of the Lord speaking. It was deeper because in the, in, the, in the latter part of Leviticus 27, it talks about, but if it's the Lord's, it's hallowed, and you give unto God that which is God's. But now in Exodus chapter 29, this now is the, really the dedication of the priesthood, consecrating the priests unto the Lord. Or in other words, consecrating an individual into the service of God. And verse 9 says in this, it says, And thou shalt gird them with girdles, Aaron and his sons, and put the bonnets on them of the priest's office, shall be theirs for a perpetual statute. Those are two big words. A perpetual statute. What does that mean, a perpetual statute? In other words, it's a never-ending binding force. This isn't something they can just get out of on their own accord. This now, they're about to perform something now where they're making a vow before God. That they are a perpetual statute, a never-ending binding force. This is my consecration. It says, and thou shalt consecrate Aaron and his sons. And thou shalt cause a bullock to be brought before the tabernacle of the congregation. And Aaron and his sons shall be slain. No. It says, Aaron and his sons shall put their hands upon the head of the bullock. I want you to catch something here. They put their hands upon the head while it's still alive. And then they kill it. And thou shalt kill the bullock before the Lord by the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. There's an identification in the life of that bullock. That this is my consecration before God. And you could read, and thou shalt take the blood of the bullock and put it upon the horns of the altar with thy finger and pour all the blood beside the bottom of the altar. But now if you jump down, uh, brother, to verse verse, uh, 15. And this is another one there. He says, and then thou shalt take one ram, and Aaron and his sons shall put their hands upon the head of the ram. It's an identification. And if you jump down to verse 19, it says, and thou shalt take, uh, take the other ram, and Aaron and his sons shall put their hands upon the head of the ram. What is it? It's an identification. There's something to be done that when they're slaying these lambs and these rams, the bullock, they're, they're, they're doing this to God. And it's an identification that my life is identified here, that I am laying down my life in service to God. That this ram is dying as a representation that my life is no longer my own, but my life belongs unto God. My life belongs to the Lord. Now I've consecrated myself as a perpetual statute, a never-ending binding force before God that I and myself cannot one day just turn around and say, I quit. But rather it's a binding force that I've identified myself to say, this is it. This is my office. This is my consecration. This is my life. If you were to look at 1 Samuel 1 verse 11... That's where Hannah makes a vow before God. She says, Lord, if you'll give me a son, I'll give him back to you. And she performed that vow. But now, there was identification with the burnt offering. That was the performing of a vow before God as a perpetual statue that they would consecrate themselves to this purpose. Now, Jephthah's daughter was not sacrificed as a burnt offering. 
but rather she was identified with the sacrifice as the performing of a vow. See, how does that happen? It says that she performed her vow. Yes, because God cannot break his word. That's why I said it had to run from Genesis to Revelation. And if you put in there that God said, kill your daughter, it doesn't run. It doesn't fit. But if you put in there that now all of a sudden there was a representation where she could identify why was she bewailing her virginity. It wasn't because she was going to die a virgin. It was because she was going to live a virgin. It was because she was going to live the rest of her life consecrated, identified in the life of a lamb, consecrated to God, recognizing I'll never bring seed to my father, but rather I've got a higher purpose now that because God has made this vow that I would live my life for him and him alone. Hallelujah. So there had to be a sacrifice, but there was uh, something put in, in the place of her that rather she could put her hands upon the head of a ram as a vow before God saying, this is my vow. This is now my life. I should have been on that altar dead, but God couldn't sacrifice a person like that. He had to take a, 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 a substitution for her. That she could be identified with so that she could live her life for God. Oh, hallelujah. She was now given to God as a perpetual virgin. That she was given to the service of the Lord. No wonder Jephthah could rent his clothes. He now had no lineage. That was the end. He was now given wholly over to God because that was all he had left. No wonder God could use them and say, you'll judge for seven years. Hey, man, go over me to First Peter. Let's take the second part of the service now. Sorry, First Peter chapter 2. Says to whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of man, but chosen of God and precious. What's he talking about? He's talking about Christ, who's become a living stone that, that disallowed by indeed of man, that man rejected him, his brothers rejected him, they cast him out, but God was chose him, that he was precious, but you also. As lively stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, and all to offer uh, up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Now, if you look at it, nobody in the Old Testament, in the types and the shadows, could offer up a sacrifice but that they had consecrated their lives to the office of a priest. Then God could accept them as a minister of, to God, but they had to come through the blood of that lamb. But now, so is it where he says, you as lively stones are built up, you're offering spiritual sacrifices. How could those sacrifices be acceptable to God unless you have identification in blood? Amen. But he says, wherefore, also it is, it is contained in the scripture, behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you, therefore, which believe, he is precious. 
But unto them which are disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed has become the head of the corner. Oh, my. What's he saying? He's saying just like Jephthah, the ones that disallowed him and kicked him out were the ones that said, we want you to be our head and our chief and our captain. And God said, sure, but he's also going to be your judge. Oh, hallelujah. But he was not a judge to the daughter that he, that he was told to sacrifice because it was the Spirit of God that spoke through him and said, make this vow. It was the Spirit of God that produced the substitute for it so that she didn't have to die, but that she could live a virgin to God. Oh, my. Pray that God reveals it to you. But it says, in a stone of stumbling... And a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word. Now, if you want to know what that is, the stone of stumbling, the rock of offense. If you read the chapter 12, I don't remember if we read it or not, but chapter 12 of Judges, the beginning of it, what happens? Ephraim, the brothers, they come and they're stumbled by Jephthah and they make war against Jephthah. The ones that disallowed him. What a type. So that Christ could come and say, there will be those that will reject me. And to them, I'll be a rock of offense. To them, I'll be a stumbling block. To them, they won't be able to accept it, but I'm made the judge. It says, which, even them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. <laughs> oh, my. I was talking to a brother in Grand Prairie, and you know, he was sharing some things. I said, brother, you have to understand Satan does not have a free moral agency. Satan was born to this purpose. He was created for the purpose to be the accuser of the brethren. He was created for the purpose so that sin could not exist unless there first be a savior. But because there was a savior, there had to be an opposite. Because God wanted to express himself as a healer, there had to be sickness. So Satan was created for this purpose. When you recognize that and you understand that, you begin to realize that Satan has a purpose and he's really good at his job. But you know what? It's his job. This is what he was born to do. So instead of looking around and saying, oh, how could you do this to me, devil? Instead, turn around and say, you got no right on my land, devil. Because the blood of Jesus purchased that land for me. You had your chance and you blew it. Hallelujah. Let the blood speak for me. It says, but you, verse 9, are a chosen generation. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Hallelujah. How did he call you out of darkness? It wasn't that he put you up on a pedestal. He just shone the light. He just shone the light in your life. And there was something that began vibrating. You couldn't help it. Why? Because it was a predestinated seed in you that when the wooing started, Satan started fighting. But God said, that's mine. And when the light came by your way, it drove you to repentance. It drove you to a place. And let me call it to the hills from whence cometh my help. Because God is my help. Hallelujah. In which times past were not a people. Oh my. 
I could ask you to raise your hands. How many of you outside of family knew one another before you believed this message? Not very many hands would go up. Those of you that were saved from the world, those of you that are raising the message, you know, you knew each other from birth. But, you know, those of you that came from the world, you could look at it and say, I, I might have never crossed paths with these people. We were not a people. We had nothing to do with each other. We come from different walks of life, different countries, different places, different likes, different dislikes, different peoples, different everything. You've been to times past, you were not a people, but are now the people of God. Which have not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Now what does he directly begin to go into? He's he's speaking about grace and mercy, how you've been chosen by God and all these things. But then he comes down beyond that. He says, because of this, because you're a chosen priesthood, because you've identified with Jesus Christ, because you've chosen to identify your life as a virgin in Christ, now abstain from all those things. Don't go out after those things. You don't have a right in those things that would take away your virginity from God because you've made a vow. So I don't remember making a vow. Oh, yeah, you did when you said, Lord, I'm giving my life away. Lord, I lay down my own life. I lay down my ambitions. I lay down my will. Lord, I want to be born again. The new birth is a vow. It is a Nazarite vow to God that everything else is laid aside. Hallelujah. Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Hallelujah. That you could cause an unbeliever to glorify God. Oh, yes, you can. When they look at you and say, I don't know, but that man, something's different. I was telling a young brother, Brother Marshall, actually the other day, I said, you know, people nowadays, I said, they're so ignorant of what Jesus is, they can't look at you and say, that man's been with Jesus. Because they don't even know what Jesus is. I said, but now they just look at you and say, something's different about that man. To me, that's saying the same thing. Because I'm not expecting them to understand. When the ones that saw Jesus, when they came out on the day of Pentecost, they could say they'd been with Jesus. They could say that something's different about those people. They done been with Jesus because they saw what Jesus was like. And now they've seen the same life in them. But now you got people that are so ignorant of God, they don't even understand what Jesus is. So they just look at you and say, he ain't of this world. He's different. You're causing an unbeliever to glorify God by your works. Oh, hallelujah. In this, God receives the glory. Let's go to a couple more places here. Luke chapter 23. This, of course, is the identification of our Lamb. Jesus dying on the cross. Luke chapter 23 and verse 26. It says, And have they led him away, they laid upon him, they laid upon, they laid hold upon one Simon, a Cyrene. Coming out of the country and on him, they laid the cross, that he might bear it after Jesus. And there followed him a great company of people and of women which also bewailed and lamented him. My. But Jesus turned to them and said, Daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. 
Oh my, it wasn't a weeping. What was happening? Think of Jephthah's daughter. She wasn't there saying, let me go for two months and cry for the poor lamb. But let me go and bewail my virginity. Let me weep for me because something's happening. The, the life I'm going to have to live. But rather let me be identified with this lamb. Don't weep for the lamb, but identify with the lamb and say, Lord, you took my place. For behold, the day's coming in which they shall say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bear and the paps that never again suck. He says, And they shall begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, Cover us. Oh my. And if they do these things in a great tree, what shall be done in the dry? He says, And where also two other malefactors led with them to be put to death? led with him to be put to death. And when they were come to the place, which is called Calvary, they were, they, there they crucified him, and the malefactors, one on his right hand, the other on his left hand. And Jesus, and then said, Jesus, Father, think about this. In the worst of situations, here is here he is. When they nailed someone to a cross, they nailed him laying down on the ground. And they nailed his hand and hand and feet and feet. And then they stood that cross up into the hole. And there he was nailed in the jarring... And just as he was dropped in that hole and there's blood running down the cross, there's just blood dripping. He's got the crown of thorns on him and it's run down his face. It's run down his naked body. It's run down the cross and it's wet upon the ground. And he begins to cry out, Father, forgive them. How could he forgive such a sinner like that? That's someone that was doing something out of such ignorance. But he could cry out, Father, forgive them, because they didn't realize what they were doing. They were fulfilling the word of God. Amen. That God could use ignorant sinners to fulfill his word. Hallelujah. When they feel like we finally won the battle. Oh, Jesus says, Father, forgive them. They don't understand. They're making a perpetuation for sin. So you sure about that? Yeah, because Jesus said, I must go away. Jesus said that the son must be crucified. I must be killed. I must be uh, denied. I must be all these things must happen unto me. Why? Because there had to be a sacrifice. There had to be a perpetuation to take your place. And in this, there was a man standing there that represented, I believe, every one of us. And he wasn't just standing there. He was hanging there. He was a thief on his side. And when the soldiers mocked him, the people stood beholding him, and the rulers also with him derided him, saying, He saved others, but himself he cannot save. If he be the Christ, the chosen of God, and the soldiers also mocked him. Here's all these people mocking and berating and giving him all kinds of insults and sayings. And saying, if thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. And a subscription was also written over him, a letter of Greek and of Latin and of Hebrew. <laughs> this is beautiful. Here it's written in three languages. Greek, Latin, Hebrew. It's written to the Jews. It's written to the Gentiles. And it's written to the gray whore. And what's it say? This is the king. <laughs> All hail, king of the Jews. This is the king. You want to raise yourself up and bring yourself up. It's written in Latin. That, that's speaking to the one in which the Antichrist will one day be embodied in. And he had it written in that saying, this is the king. He wrote it to the Gentiles. This is the king. He wrote it to the Jews. This is the king. 
Oh, my. We just stopped there and preached a while, brother. So but one of the malefactors, which was hanging, nailed, hanging, railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. What ignorance. And the other saying, rebuked him, saying, Dost thou not fear God, seeing that thou art in the, in the same condemnation? Says, And we indeed justly, but we receive a due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing amiss. What is he doing right here? He's identifying himself, which whose side he's on. Here's a man from the devil. Here's a man from God. And he says, I'm identifying myself with this man. I'll stick up for him. He wasn't even dead yet. But yet though his hands were nailed, his hands were on the head of the lamb. Oh, hallelujah. While the blood was still wet on the cross, he identified himself there and he turned to Jesus and he said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily, I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Oh, hallelujah. There was priests, there were soldiers that went away that day smoting their press, saying, Surely this man was the Son of God. We've done some evil things, but there was one man. That put his head on the head of the lamb and identified himself. He didn't go away smoting his breast. He went away rejoicing into paradise. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, think of it, Hebrews 12. He read the scripture as who for the joy that was set before him. For the joy that was set before him, that there would be a people that would identify themselves with the blood that is on the mercy seat today. That they would identify themselves and say, this is my identification. No matter what anybody says, I'll stand for Jesus. Let the whole world go by. I'll stand for Jesus. Brother Branham says, now the worshiper seen beneath the blood, showed that he had carried out Jehovah's request, that he was identified. The token showed that he was identified with the slain lamb that Jehovah had required. The work was done. What a perfect type today of Christ and the believer when the token is displayed to the believer, then it shows that it's been accepted and the work has been done. Then the blood was a token of identification. The blood itself, the animal bled, died. His blood was on the wall. And now animal life, that was in the blood. The life is in the blood. We know that. The Bible said so and science proves it. Life is in the blood. What's he saying? He said the life is in the blood. That when the blood of Jesus was spilt out, it was his own life, his Holy Spirit that was coming out to man. So that anyone that identifies themselves with that blood, they've got a right by full obedience to the word of God, entitles them to the token. Hallelujah. It entitles them to the life that's in the blood because I'm here to tell you, the blood is still wet this morning. It was wet that day on the cross, but today it's on the mercy seat. There's still a Christ that's a mediator between God and man. The Christ that stands there, that when you come and repent and say, oh God, forgive me, he still reaches into his side. The blood is still wet. It's not a dry blood. He's going to take flakes and try and write something out with it. It's a wet blood that he can write pardon on. Hallelujah. That's your identification calling. 
I was just thinking, I was listening to testimony of Brother Charlie Cox the other day. He was talking about how he'd go out hunting all by himself, and there he was out hunting. And he says there would be times he'd just be thinking about the Lord and just be, be talking, and the presence of God would just come down. And the presence of God would be so real. But even after that, he still asked Brother Branham, he said, Brother Branham, I just want the new birth. I just want the new birth. Brother Branham just says, listen, next time you're out hunting, that presence comes around. Just welcome him. Just welcome him. In case you didn't catch it, you're sitting here this morning in the presence of Almighty God. The blood is still wet. Just welcome him. Just welcome him in. Just say, Lord, I've got an identification. I accept the perpetuation for my sin. I'm welcoming you into my life. I felt you in my flesh. I felt you in my spirit. But I welcome you now into the most sacred regions of my heart. Oh, praise be to God. Think about it. There was Peter. It needs to be an identification. Peter that day when he denied the crew, Jesus three times before the cock crew. That night he was there, he was in the, 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 the high priest chambers getting interrogated and Peter was out in the courtyard and then somebody said, oh, you're one of those ones. And he said, no, I'm not. I don't know the man. You know the story. He denied him three times. Let me ask you a question. How many people were saved that day? Zero. Not one person accepted Jesus Christ by Peter denying. But there was another day just a little while later, that Peter got an identification. And he come out on the day of Pentecost. He said, this is that. This is my identification. Jesus Christ's life is in me. How many were saved that day? 3,000. Why? There was an identification of blood. Think about Rahab. If Rahab had not displayed the token in the window, how many would have been saved? Zero. But because she identified herself with the children of Israel, that this was her people, that all of her, her family, everyone that was in that house was saved that day. Oh, praise be to God. Praise be to God. Looking unto Jesus, Brother Branham says, you should never question the word of God. That's what got the whole human race into trouble when Eve questioned whether God could keep all his word or not. I say tonight, brethren, it's time. It's come time that we must believe every word that God wrote. It's every bit truth. Man lived by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Praise God. Not just the ones we like. Not just the where it says, oh, I have good thoughts to you. I got a, a good end. I, I have purpose to you. And I... All things work together for good, and oh my, it's a wonderful message. Jesus loves the world. He gave his only begotten son. All these things, and not just that, every word. Yeah, Hebrews chapter 12 was in there too. What son is he whom the Father does not chastise? Praise the Lord. Thank the Lord for your temptations. Count them more precious than gold. Count your trials more precious than gold. Praise the Lord. I'll take that one too. When I'm down in the dumps and you brought me as low as low can be, Lord, I'll still look to you. Oh, hallelujah. He says in the dying, he says, well, my, now we find out that Mary found resurrection in life. So did Jairus, the little priest, a secret believer. When he saw Jesus look upon him, he found resurrection in life. Oh, my, here was one who actually lost his daughter. She was dead, but when she looked to Jesus, 
He came in the room and everyone started laughing. To them, it was an oddball. To them, it was something crazy. What are you talking about? She's only sleeping. He says, she's only sleeping. Get all these other people out. But why? It was a revelation to Jairus and to Jairus alone. Nobody else had the revelation, but Jairus had a revelation that this man, if I could get a hold of this man, they even came to him and said, don't bother the master or she's dead. And then Jairus just said, no, we're going on. Hallelujah. Jesus said, just have faith. And they just kept on going on. Then what is it doing? Let me just explain to you what's happening here for a moment. Here's the devil trying to take a possession. He's trying to take Jairus' land. He's trying to take his daughter. Finally, he gets them to the point where the people look at her and say, she's dead. The doctor says she's dead. And they come to him and say, don't worry, the Ammonites own this land. They've come to him and said, don't worry, the devil's taken over. But Jesus just says, have faith. These men, Jephthah, who through faith obtained a good report. So he just had enough faith in Christ till he got alone. It was just him, his wife, his daughter, Peter, James, and John, and the Lord. And they were alone in this room. And what happened? He just took her by the hand. She began to live again. I have to stay behind this line. So he just took her by the hand. He just took her by the hand. And she began to live again. It didn't take a huge amount of emotion. It didn't take a great amount of prayer. It didn't take a great amount of things. It just took faith. That he just took her by the hand. He just lifted her up and she began to live. And he said, don't tell anybody. (laughs) Why? Because it was done in secret. It was done for their edification. It was done for them. There was no doctor statement. There was no nothing. They just said, I thought she's dead. He sleeps, and now she comes out, and they just, there will be all kinds of questions going on. Was she really dead? What really happened? Are you really sure this happened? That's why you know Brother Branham, when the baby came, the girl who came up, the little Mexican, I believe she was, Spanish sister, came up with the baby. He said, take her, Brother Espinosa, go to the doctor, get a signed affidavit that she was dead. Don't just go out praising God. Ah, oh, praise the Lord. She's alive. She's alive. No, no, take it. Go get a signed affidavit before you tell everybody. Amen. Don't give the devil any place. But there was another man, a leper, that he told, said, go tell everybody. He told Legion, go tell everybody. Why did he tell Legion, go tell everybody? Because everyone done seen him possessed. Everyone done seen him do all these crazy things and possession and all sorts of terrible things that he'd done. And now all of a sudden, here comes this man, Legion, walking into town. He was dwelling in caves. He was breaker of change. He was all these things that they said, man, stay away from that guy. Here he comes strolling into town. And everyone's backing up going, hold on a second. Watch out for that guy. He's going to kill somebody. Something's bad going to happen. He's going, oh, no, I met Jesus. I met the sacrifice. I could go tell everybody because everybody done seen me a sinner so everyone could see me a believer now. Everyone done seen you a sinner so let everyone see. Let everyone glorify God because of the works that he's done in your life. Hallelujah. So why'd you go on that side road, Brother Andrew? That was another question from the youth, so there's your answer. says, the dying thief looked unto him in the hour of distress and what did he find? He found his pardon. Who else could he look to? The Roman government wouldn't pardon him. No one else would pardon him, but he looked to Jesus. Sometimes it doesn't look so good. 
He looked to another man that was hanging in the same state that he was in. The other thief looked on the outside and said, we're hanging on a cross to die. He's hanging on a cross to die. Therefore, we're all the same. Right? There you go. There's your no pictures, no proof. You take a picture of that, your proof says you're all the same. But there was another thief on the other side. Didn't care what the picture said. He said, that man's different. I'm not looking at a man hanging on a cross. I'm looking at my pardon. He said, my brother and my sister tonight, if you're hanging like he was then on the balance of condemnation, knowing that if you die tonight as a lukewarm church member or a lukewarm Pentecostal or whatever you might be, you know where you're going. I'd encourage you right now, look to him this morning if you know you're hanging in the balance, if you know this morning that your life is not worthy of the gospel, all you have to do is say, welcome Holy Spirit. I identify myself with the blood of the Lamb, and when you do that, the rest of it will line up. If you want me to quit yelling at you, just accept it. There we go. It says, and one who was set free says tonight, if you're just only a membership only, he says, and don't know what the resurrection of Christ means to live in the human heart, look to him. He's God and he alone. You'll find pardoning like this poor, sick, sin, 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 sick thief did hanging on the cross. I speak the same English he did. I can't get my words straight. The sick looked to him. What did they find? They found a healer. Hallelujah. The sick can look to him today. He's still a healer. They find in him what represented what was representing the brass serpent. That was the type. This was the antitype. The blood looked and could see that he was the same yesterday, today, and forever. That you identify with Christ. You identified that you are a virgin to Christ. You've identified that you have no more part in the things of the world. You have no more part in the world because the love of God and the love of the world cannot coexist. Light and darkness cannot coexist. It's one or the other. And when you've identified with the sacrifice, you have to kick everybody else out. I'm talking about every other demon. Jesus. Let me just close with this in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 24 says that the Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. It doesn't say it just sits on the cross as better things. No, it speaks. The blood speaks. Brother Brown says in the message of the talk, he said the blood has got a voice, and the voice of the blood is the word. That's what makes it, whether it's right or wrong, the word is identified by the voice of the blood. The voice of the blood is the Holy Ghost. That brings life. It is life. And it brings life to the word and quickens it. Think about it. He says, the voice of the blood is the word. The voice of the blood is the Holy Ghost. In other words, they can't be differentiated. If you've accepted the blood of Jesus, the word of God, you have to accept the life to quicken the word in you, to make it live in you and through you. You can't take one and live it. What does it become? An intellectual gospel. If you just take the word, it becomes an intellectual gospel. But then you take over here, Brother Brown called the fundamentalist, but then you take over here the other ones that got all the life, but they put the word inside. They take all the life. And it's a whole lot of steam that doesn't go anywhere. They just blow it all out the chimney. He says, you got to get the two of them together. you got to get the word and the life. 
Because when you accept the blood, when you identify with Christ, he is the word made flesh. And in him and his blood is the life. Hallelujah. There's a voice speaking to you this morning. Are you listening to the voices of the world? Or have you identified with the voice of the blood? Have you identified with the voice of the blood of Jesus that speaks better things than anything the world has to offer? Oh my, Satan has a lot of voices that he wants to woo to you and call to you. And those sins are pleasurable for a season. But the end thereof is death. What's he saying? He said, that's why they talked about in the law when I read it, all of those things. Don't do all of these sins. Don't do all of these things. It's pleasurable to the body for a season, but the end thereof is death. Don't do it. Hallelujah. It speaks better things today than that of the law. Grace is here. Have you heard the word? You have heard the word. Service after service after service after tape after tape after reading your Bible after reading your Bible. You've heard it. You've heard it. You've heard it. And faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. But let the Zoe life of God come and quicken that word. He says in one place, he says, so you'll see it. The church age is ending now. It's in Jehovah Jireh, 1961. This is the hour. She's just about finished. God's pulling his church. He's predicting that Laodicean lukewarm enough to spew out of the mouth. And that's just exactly the age we're living in. Everything hanging just right for the end time and everything. We see the church in that condition, slumpy, lukewarm enough. Well, it looks very nice, pretty good. Well, maybe I'll come back to the end of the week again. See, there it is. That's the attitude of the church. It's at that time that God picks one here and one there. One in the field and leaves the other one. One in the bed leaves the other one. Right? And so forth to take that so that we see we're approaching that age let's settle ourselves on God's word get on God's word God's spirit in the word let's become lively stones built up the house of the living God hallelujah what's he saying and listen the church has come to such a condition where it's become so lukewarm where they want to live for God but they also want this little thing over here and oh they can't give that up over there But they can't give this person up. They can't give that friend up. They can't give this one up. But except you reject everything. And just come to Christ and Christ alone. Your life is not worthy of the gospel. That's hard. But he's saying you've got to take the word. Let everything else fall where it may. Let's become lively stones. Let's stand to our feet. So if you haven't got to that place this morning, I'd raise my hands right now and say, Lord, let the blood speak for me. Don't let me walk my own way. Don't let me try and say I can make it on my own. Don't let me try and figure it out. If Jephthah had tried to figure it out himself, he would have killed his own daughter. But he had to realize that God was moving. 
God was moving. He performed his vow in that he had sacrificed the fact that his daughter would perform her purpose as a natural purpose, and that was to bring forth seed. But rather, she had a higher purpose now. That was to live for God. Hallelujah. The world might say, you've got a purpose. You've got a purpose. Don't you know you can be a great man? No, Satan wants to take your talents. Brother Ray, he wants to take your talents and make you a great singer. He wants to take you and tour you around the world and make you albums and make you a millionaire. Uh-huh. He said, I got computer skills. He wants to take those skills and use them for his own kingdom. He wants to take those musical skills and use them for his own benefit. He wants to take those public speaking skills and use them for his own benefit. He wants to take those carpentry skills and make them so you can put yourself into a company. You can pour yourself in. You can be somebody. But it's time to identify yourself with the Lamb of God. Say, Lord, let all that be secondary. If that's your will, so be it. But if not, take it away. Let me identify myself first with the word of God and be pleasing to him. Not be caught up in the things of the world, what the world calls, this is your calling. You're called to be this certain somebody. You're so good at it, but there's one thing I'm better at, and it's living by the word of God. Because that's what I was before the foundation of the world. I was an attribute of God, and I'm nothing more than a manifested attribute of the living God. Nothing more than a living stone. Hallelujah. What's a living stone? A stone is a revelation. You're a living revelation of who Jesus Christ is today. Your Jesus with flesh on it. Oh, praise be to God. Your Jesus with flesh on it. Like the little boy that was scared of the thunder and the lightning. But he says, oh, but Jesus is watching over. He says, but mama. I want Jesus with flesh on it. I want to see him. He says, oh, he's right here. Right in your darkest of trial when it seems like you got to give it all up. That's why when we come, oh, it's so hard to not fellowship, isn't it? So hard to not just gather around and encourage one another. <laughs> because it's lifting one another up. I'm breaking this thing, brother. I'm sorry. It keeps coming off. Hallelujah. You're a living revelation, a living expression of the Word of God. Hallelujah. I know we started with that song, but I want to just sing it again. Little girl was lying there. If you, if you ain't got this revelation, just lift up your hand and say, Lord, take me by the hand now. I want to live again. You say, again, if I never was alive, yeah, if you were in the mind of God, you were alive. You came down here and Satan thought you were his possession, but then the blood of Jesus came by your way this morning, and he's saying to you, you don't belong to that old devil. You're my possession. You're my inheritance, and I'm here to claim back my inheritance. You might have walked away. You might have committed adultery. You might have committed fornication. You might have had a list of children. It doesn't matter. He's here to forgive you. So you sure about that? Look how we used Jephthah, a bastard-born son. And God used him. God is here and full of grace, full of mercy. If you could just say, welcome, Lord. I'm sorry. Hallelujah.
little girl was lying there people all were weeping they just laughed at jesus when he said she's only sleeping as he took her by the hand she began to live again some began to praise the lord some began to say identify yourself right here he's in this house death has no more right over me used to be oh now there is hope oh there's no more doubt oh praise his name oh praise his name he's in the house I was there I was like that little girl dead in all our sins till Jesus touched this heart of mine and gave me life again oh I'm just a house of clay ever since that blessed day there's a light that shines on me all the world to see cross and there was a solid line right in between them. Someone had drawn a line. That man himself that malefactor had drawn his own line making fun of Jesus saying if you're really the cross, if you're really the son of God, save yourself and save us. What was he doing? He was drawing a line there saying I'm over here, you're over there. But another man he had to identify which side of the line he was on. Am I going to stay on this side and say, if you're really God, heal my sickness. If you're really God, save my lost loved ones. If you're really God, are you going to identify yourself and say, Lord, not my will. Just remember me. I was thinking about the other day, a man made a statement, a young person made a statement about how, you know, God answers the devil's prayers. Right? Because there was a man in legion and the devil began to cry out and say, let me go into the swine. And the devil said, Jesus said, go. Right, God answered the devil's prayer. You know, that's how the devil comes. When he comes before God and Job, the sons of God, 
presented themselves and, and Satan was there and he said, where you been? Walking to and fro. He said, if you consider my servant Job, right? And here Job was, was a perfect man in all of his ways. He eschewed evil. But Satan said, take your hand off of him. God answered the devil's prayer. He said, yeah, go ahead, touch him. To draw that he has is don't touch his life. Then he came up again and said, but if you let me a life for a life. See, God answered the devil's prayer again. That's pretty phenomenal, isn't it? But exactly what the devil asked for was what the devil got. With a son of God, it ain't that way. When a son of God just surrenders and said, Lord, not my will, thou be done. Like the three Hebrew children that said, I will not bend, I will not bow. If you burn, I'll burn. But my God is more than able to save us. They might have been praying, Lord, send an angel. Send some angel. Send somebody to save me. But God said, no, I ain't answering that way. Hallelujah. God didn't answer their prayer the way they said they wanted to answer. God said, I'm coming down myself. God doesn't answer your prayer just the way you could think about it in your own human way. But the Spirit itself makes intercession for you in the best way possible. Hallelujah, Brother Ray. That the scripture says, don't offend the least of my little ones because there's an angel that always beholds my father's face, right? Brother Brown takes that and he says, you know what? But when you get the Holy Spirit... You got the Father yourself. You get an upgrade. Well, I got young children, young children that I know they got an angel because they're predestinated. And they're predestinated to eternal life. I believe that with all my heart. But they got an angel beholding my Father's face. And they got an angel there that's watching over them and making sure that they're going to be okay. That's going to bring them to a place of repentance. But once you come to that place and you identify, you don't need an angel beholding the Father's face because you got the Father in you. He said, I need an angel beholding my father's face. I don't know. I got God. There's angels all around me. Why? Because it's the presence of Almighty God. I hope you can catch what I'm saying tonight, this morning. I hope you can catch what I'm saying. Well, what's it saying? You got an upgrade. You got an upgrade. You got God Himself. You don't need a representation before his face. You've got the representation in you. You've identified yourself to say, I've got Jesus in me. I've got the Father in me that the life that I now live is not my own, but it's Christ living in me. Oh, I can just preach all day on that. That's good. Hallelujah, Brother Harold. You don't got the Father in you. Praise be to God. You don't got the Father in you. See, Satan, get behind me. Say it with me. Satan, get behind me. Get off my land. I'm a joint heir with Jesus Christ because I'm his inheritance. Therefore, I've inherited myself. <laughs> Sometimes you're getting it all mixed up. No, I'm just so lost in the word. When you get so lost in the eternal word of God, let me tell you something. You don't know where the end, the beginning is. It's just all God. And it's wonderful. Father, I see you're drawing a line in the sand. Where are you standing? Let's sing that together. Father, I see that you are drawing a line in the sand. And I want to stand. Let the worshipers arise. Holding your hand. So let your kingdom. Let it live in me. This is 
Your sons and the daughters sing. 